No matter, I don't care how silly it sounds, how grand it sounds. I want you to get it in your mind right now. I want you to think about that. Matter of fact, let's do this. If you feel a call to the pulpit ministry, would you stand real quick? Okay. Very good. You can be seated. If you feel a call to maybe missions, and that you may overlap here, but if you feel a call to missions, whether it be global or home, stand. Okay. Very good. Now, I want you to think. You can be seated. I want you to think in your mind. I want you to get it in your mind. What would that thing be? What is the just what is that grand, that great, that, that bigger than life? If God could just do this, that's what I would do. You got it? Nod at me if you got something in your mind. Now, I want you to do that. I want you to look at your neighbor. And if you trust him enough, if you trust him enough, I want you to tell him what you would like to see God do. What, what you would like for God to use you to do or accomplish. Do you, ooh, do you not trust him enough? <laughs> hey, when Joseph started telling his dreams, man, it didn't turn out good for him. <laughs> no, tell him, tell him. Say, this is what I'm thinking. It, they may laugh at you. That's fine. That's fine. You'll make a memory right here when you do it. You'll say, you laughed at me and we did it anyhow. I want to echo what Brother Sham said. I think God wants to use this generation because this is the generation upon whom the ends of the world have come. And I think God wants to use this generation to do incredible, almost said unbelievable, <laughs> but believable, incredible things if we can allow him to work through us you do realize that God is counting on us to propagate the gospel that God is counting on us to be the body of Christ grab your Bibles and stand real quick I want you to keep that in your mind this is what I think I could do for God if God could do anything he could do this I want you to keep that in your mind 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. I'm just going to kind of act like I'm at home today. I'm going to act like I'm at a, uh, just a young minister's class at home in Gainesville, and I'm going to talk to you like I would talk to them. I'm going to probably do more teaching than preaching, and uh, I'm going to try not to beat around the bush. I'm going to try to talk straight to you today. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Now, Naaman, captain of the host of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master. He was honorable because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also a mighty man in valor. And if that's where it ended, that'd be a great resume. But it says he was also a leper. He had all this good stuff, but then he had this one area that kind of really pale, put everything else in, 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 in a shadow of doubt or a, 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 a shadow of like, mm, we might stay away from him. He was great. He was honorable. He was a mighty man, but he was a leper. I want you to look at your neighbor, and I want you to tell them these words. Say, you look better without leprosy. Mm -hmm. You look better 
without leprosy. You look better. You can be seated without leprosy. The word greatness is mentioned 32 times in the King James Bible. The word great is mentioned 962 times. That's almost a thousand times that the word great and greatness is reiterated in Scripture. I got up this morning and thought, I wonder how many times the word ordinary is mentioned in the Bible. So I did a little search on that. It's mentioned one time and it's talking about food. I thought, I wonder how many times the word mundane is mentioned. I looked it up, not one time. I thought, well, I wonder how many times the word average is found in the Bible. Not one time. But yet great and greatness is mentioned almost a thousand times. Now, we know that our God is great. And according to Scripture, He is greatly to be praised. But not only is our God great, and this is what Brother Shalom set the, the foundation so beautifully for today, but He wants us as ministers to have a faithful, consistent, and great ministry. Now, my great ministry and your great ministry may not look the same. We are not in a comparison trap. But every one of us are called to do something great for the kingdom of God. God does not call and God does not anoint mediocrity. God does not call and God does not anoint laziness. <laughs> Everybody that God called in the Bible was already busy doing something else. Well, I'm just waiting on the call. Well, you need to get busy. I had a young man tell me one time, he said, Pastor, I'm called to preach. And I just felt a little cranky that day. And I said, you're not called to preach. And I try not to say that because I, I know how that feels sometimes. And I don't want to squash anybody's dream. But I was, I was cranky that day. He said, I'm called to preach. I said, you can't be called to preach. He said, but I'm called to preach. I said, you can't be called to preach. There's not a chance in the world you can be called to preach. He said, why would you say that? I said, because you're lazy. I said, your wife has two jobs. You stay at home and play video games while your kids are at the daycare. <laughs> I said, there's not a chance in the world that you're called. Because if you're called, you're the first lazy person that God has ever called to the ministry. And I don't think he's starting that at this season. God does not call and anoint mediocrity. And so if you're here today and you stood and you said, hey, I'm called then you have been called by God and you have been called to the kingdom for such a time as this. God didn't need you in the first century. He needed you in the 21st century. He didn't need you standing by Peter when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. He had Peter to do that. But he needs you to stand where you're supposed to stand right now and preach. Because Peter's dead and gone. But he needs you. God did not call us to just twiddle our thumbs. Until Jesus comes. The Bible teaches emphatically in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. To show himself strong in the behalf of them whose heart. Here it is. Whose heart is perfect toward him. Daniel 11.32 says. And the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. 
Luke 12, 32, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, I know I'm opening myself up to be mislabeled, so label me ever how you want to label me, but don't misquote me when I make this statement. But I want to do something great for the kingdom of God. That doesn't mean I want to be great. That doesn't mean that I want my name to be plastered around anywhere. I just want to do what I'm supposed to do, and I want to do it as great as it can be done that I can do it. The greatest thing that we've ever been a part of is teaching home Bible studies, starting a few churches. Now that we've been in Gainesville, we're, next month we'll launch our fourth daughter work. That's the greatest. Those are some of the greatest things that I've ever been a part of. But I don't want to pastor an average church. I want to pastor a great church. I don't want to die with dreams and visions and what ifs left unfulfilled and unclaimed in my life. I don't want fear or, and doubt and unbelief to keep me from reaching and stretching and believing God for the impossible. I don't want fear to keep me in the boat when Jesus is standing out saying, come. We went on vacation uh, last year and we went to Hawaii. And a little secret about me, I can't swim. And uh, I don't, I, I just, you know, I, don't, I take a shower with a life vest on just in case I fall. You know, I'm just, I'm scared of anything that can kill me. And uh, so I don't, I don't swim. But we wanted to do this thing in Hawaii called underwater scooters. And, and you literally, you're kind of like your head's in a, in a tank and you go under the water and you ride around on these scooters. And so I had watched videos and I was prepared to do this. I didn't know that we were going to be on a boat with 50 other people that was not part of our group. And I didn't know that we'd be the very first group to go out. And there was, there were six of us. We was vacation with a couple other couples. And, and so, uh, I was like, I can do this. I can do this. And we got out in that water. Now, the videos that I watched, the water was calm. But on this particular day, the waves were about this high. I mean, it was just rocking. And so my daughter went in first. My son-in-law went in first. I was hoping he would drown. <laughs> he didn't. And, uh, but now we love him because we're going to be grandparents. And that's why we kept him around now. I'm going to be a grandpa in a few months. And. So I affectionately call him my grandbaby daddy. And, uh, and so uh, they went in, and then the other couple went in, and then it was time for me. And I climbed down on the side of the boat, and you had to, you had to climb down a ladder, and I had, had water up to here, and fear got a hold of me. Now, I've never battled anxiety in my life, but I knew it's here. Like, I could feel it. And, and, I, and me and my wife, we, you know, we kind of rib each other pretty bad. And, and we're kind of constantly picking on one another. And I knew that she's about to make fun of me. And so as calm as I could, with people all on the boat looking at us, I looked back up at her and I said, I'm not going to do this. And we're not going to have a problem with it. <laughs> and I allowed fear to keep me in the boat. Now, I know what that felt like that day. I'm not trying to be dramatic here, but literally, if I would, 
somebody would have drowned that day. I would have went to the hospital. I'd had a heart attack. It was that real. And then it totally hit me because how many times have I preached to people, oh, quit being fearful and do something for God. But when fear gets a hold of you. But I want you to understand you have such greatness in you. And you serve such a great God. The devil would love to get you this high in your promises. And then allow you to get frozen up by fear. And paralyzed by fear. That you'll just sit there and do nothing. But God has not given us a spirit of fear. It's amazing that, that, that Peter didn't invite Jesus to come to his boat. But Jesus invited Peter to come to where he was. I'm tired of inviting God to just come to my house. I think God's wanting to give a call at the pulpit conference for you to come to where He is. God, if that's you, give me the courage to leave the comforts of my boat and do what you want me to do. Anybody can leave footprints on the sand, but when you start leaving footprints on the water, you're part of something great. And yes, I am preaching to some young men and young women, and you're going to leave footprints on waters. You're going to do the impossible. God's going to use you for great things. As a matter of fact, we don't come and spend a couple of days at pulpit conference because we want you to go back home and and, and just everything to remain normal and ordinary and average. Absolutely not. We come and they invest time and money and prayer and worship because we want you to realize you are called to do something great for God. I don't understand preachers who want just the status quo, who's content with something less than the best. I want to be the best Jimmy Tony there is. I want want the Pentecostals of Gainesville to be the best church that it can possibly be. And we should want this college to be the best college that it could be. And you should want your ministry to be the best that it can be. Now let me pause. I'm not in competition with anybody. I'm not trying to be anybody. As leaders, you're going to have to be comfortable in your own skin. I may not have the, the leadership DNA to pastor a thousand people. I, it may not be in me. So I can't look at somebody that's doing that and then become jealous or beat myself up. I got to know who I am. Look, I, I took Jeff Arnold's church. I am not the preacher that Jeff Arnold is. I knew that going in. And the way I knew that is because he told me. Yes, sir. One time church was happening and it was, I mean, it was popping, you know, and he leaned over and kind of did this. You know, he said, my God, he said, I gave you all of this. What'd you give me? And it was right around Christmas time. And I said, Brother Arnold, whatever you want for Christmas, whatever you tell me right now, whatever you want for Christmas, I'm going to give it to you. He said, whatever. I said, whatever, Brother Arnold. He said, I want my church back. So when you're following the greatest preacher in Pentecost, then you know you're not that. So I got to be comfortable in my own skin. But I want to be the greatest Jimmy Tony that I can be. <laughs> oh, Lord, I feel too comfortable. Uh, there's a lady in our church. She's died now. Um, but she told me this story. I told this story at her funeral. 
And I told her at the funeral, I said, I think she meant this as a compliment. If any of you know that she didn't, don't tell me because I'm taking it as a compliment. But she came up to me one day and she said, hey, the Lord has shown me uh, your angel and Brother Arnold's angel. And I love stuff like that. So I feed on into that a little bit. I was like, oh, really? What they look like? She said, Brother Arnold's angel, he's got a sword this big. I said, yeah, I can see that. If I'm lying, I'm dying. I'm not embellishing this story one ounce. She said, your angel has a sword this big. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I, I, that, that fit that perfect. I, I can understand that. She said, honest to God, she said, Brother Arnold, him and his angel and that sword said they're going to reach the world. She said, you, your angel and that sword, y'all going to reach a city. And I said, I think I'm taking that as a compliment. I'm taking that as a compliment. So I can't be like anybody else. My angel only has a sword like this. We're not in competition with one another. Your church is not in competition with another church. But I do want to be the greatest that I can be. But I don't want greatness or success in ministry to produce failure in me. We cannot afford a generation of preachers to have a spirit of narcissism. This is not about us. This is the most selfless thing you'll ever do. This is not about my name or your name. This is about us making His name famous. And so the Bible says that Naaman, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1, that he was the king of Syria. He was a great man and he was honorable. Because by him the Lord had given unto deliverance unto Syria. And he was a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. He was the captain of the host. He's not a nobody. He's not just unknown any longer. He's not just a private working his way up in the military. He's the captain. The Bible teaches us that he's a great man. It teaches us he was honorable. One commentary said very rich. He was called a mighty man of valor. If my facts are right, he's the only Gentile that was ever called that in Scripture. And the Bible says he became that away because by him the Lord had given deliverance to Syria. I want you to catch that. He was great, honorable, wealthy. He was a mighty man. Not because of his ability. Not because of his genius. Not because of his talents. Not because of what he did and what he brought to the table. He was that away because the Lord used him in a great way to give a miraculous victory. And I want to preach to you today and tell you that if we will get our flesh out of the way and if we can humble ourselves, then God is looking for somebody that He can show Himself strong through. He's looking for somebody that he can use to do things that others thought you would never be able to do. And let me remind some young preacher right now, you don't have to impress your way into anybody's life. If God wants to use you, then he will use you. And you don't have to finagle your way up to the front. God has a way of calling people from the backside of the desert to the palaces of Egypt. God has a way of taking shepherd boys and pouring oil on them heads and bringing them out of nowhere. 
Excuse the personal reference for a minute, but I'm a living example of this. God has been good to me. This movement has been good to me. I have sat on platforms that I've had no business setting. I was with, riding back from uh, the donut shop last night because you can't come to St. Louis without going to donut shop. And I was riding back with Brother Enzi last night, and I told him, I said, you know, Brother Enzi, God's been, God's been good to us. God's been good to us. I've sat on platforms I've had no business sitting on. I've, I've preached in, on pul- in pla- on, uh, at, at pulpits I've had no business standing in. I've, I've worked in buildings that I've had no business working in. I've pastoring churches I've had no business pastoring. But, but it's not, it's, I didn't do it. The Lord did it. Because of the Lord. Because of me being in the right spot. And the Lord saying, I can use him. And let, me, let me tell you something. Matthias became a disciple simply because he was there. He said, this is the qualification. You don't have to have preached a good sermon. You don't have to have written a book. You don't have to have an education. You don't have to have this. I just want you to have been there from the day that he was baptized till the day that he was taken up. He had never been used before, but he was always there. you got to get comfortable being here, even if you're not the one singing. you got to get comfortable being part of it, even if you're not the one that's preaching. Because somebody is going to need to step up someday. And the only qualification is to just be there. Make up your mind you're going to be there. When you go back home, you let your pastor know, Pastor, I'm going to be here. If the doors are open, I'm going to be here. If it's prayer meeting, I'm going to be. I don't have to preach. I don't have to sing. I'm just going to be here. And if God opens that door. So I look back and I see what the Lord has done. And I would be a fool to say, look what I've done. And I am convinced that God wants to use us, you, to do great and mighty things. But can he trust you with greatness? So how many wants to be used by God? How many put that little thought in your mind? How many says, oh, God, if you can do that. Now, I am thankful that God uses us. But God doesn't need me and God doesn't need you. He could raise up a donkey or a rock right now. Look at your neighbor and say, you look better without leprosy. I want us to wrestle with these three questions today. Can God trust us with truth? In other words, can I live out what I know? Two, can God favor us with finances? Can I be a good steward of other people's money that God allows to go through my hands? And number three, can God respect what we will do with resources? And resources here is not money. It's my ability. It's what the other people that he's given me. It's the people that I'm training, replicating. Now we're going to hit pause on that for a moment. I want you to look on the screen at 1 Kings chapter number 22. 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 34. And a certain man drew a bow and adventure, smote the king of Israel between the joints of the harness. Wherefore, he said unto the driver of his chariot, Turn thine hand and carry me out of the host, for I am wounded. And the battle increased that day, and the king was stayed in his chariot against the Syrians and died at evening, and the blood ran out of his wound in the midst of the chariots. I want you to notice in verse 34 of 1 Kings chapter 22, I want you to notice the phrase, and a certain man, certain man. Webster defines the word certain as fixed, settled, dependable, reliable, known to be true, inevitable. This one stuck out at me. Definition of certain, incapable of failing. 
The Bible talks about a certain place, a certain sound, a certain time. But I want to bring your attention today to a certain man. A certain man drew back his bow at venture. They were in a battle and they were all doing what they were supposed to be doing. They were all just part of the battle. It appears to me that during this battle, no one was worried about who everyone else was. No one was worried about who this certain man was. It appears that no one was worried about names and recognitions and statuses because the battle was greater than the notoriety. It didn't matter who was drawing back the bow. Everybody was drawing back the bow. It didn't matter who was the person God was going to use at that time. Everybody was doing what they were supposed to do when they were supposed to do it. It didn't matter who was invited to preach that particular conference because everybody is doing what they're supposed to be doing. It didn't matter who got called to serve in that particular area at the local church or who got voted in at that particular position in the department of the district as long as everybody is just doing what everybody is supposed to be doing. We've got to get to the place that we're comfortable and that we are very content with just being a certain man or a certain woman. Because it's in this season of certainty. <laughs> it's in this environment that we can accomplish great things because we're not interested in who gets the credit and who's going to get the recognition and who's going to get a promotion. It's not about any of that. It's just about winning the battle. Can you be used and no one know about it? Now, look, I, I love social media, and it's a great tool, and we can use it to our advantage, but I'm going to tell you something. It also makes us look like a bunch of narcissistic jerks sometimes. You know, the Bible says what's done in secret is going to be shouted on the housetop, and I don't know who teaches y'all's Greek and Hebrew here, but they might want to talk to me after this and let me help y'all. Because if you look at the word housetop, it comes from a Greek word, Facebookio. <laughs> because sometimes we think it can't happen if we didn't tell everybody that it happened. And here's a certain man just doing what he's supposed to do. Arrows were marked kind of like bullets, ballistics on a bullet. You know, someone can shoot a gun and they can do ballistics and they can figure out what gun that came from and they can figure out all of that stuff. Arrows were marked so that they would know what arrow was used to accomplish what. So let me just say something. God's got you marked. He keeps real good records. You don't have to tell everybody else what you're doing. God knows what you're doing. As a matter of fact, there's some things that he said, if you'll do them in private, I will reward you openly. But if you if you do them openly, then you have already received your reward. When they walked into that tabernacle in the wilderness, there was two pieces of furniture that was out in the public that everybody needed to see. It was an altar and it was a laver. It was a place of repentance and it was a place of baptism. Everybody ought to see that. You ought to never be ashamed coming to an altar repenting and you should never be ashamed getting baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. But when they went into that holy of holies, there was a veil there and it kept the sun from shining in because there was a candlestick in there. And every day they would walk with that candlestick and they would eat that showbread and they would burn that altar of incense and that was done in private. There's just some things that God wants us to still do in private that He will reward us openly. And I want to help you today if you can stay humble and if you could quit worrying about who's going to get the credit. There's no telling what kind of battles the Lord can use you and your sword.
can use you and your arrow, can use you and your talent, can use you and your voice, can use you and your songwriting ability, can use you and your preaching ability to destroy and bring down and, and give great victory. There's no telling. But if you want to become great, be careful because leprosy is always attached to greatness. And you look better without leprosy. And so here he is. He's a great man. He's a tremendous leader, gifted soldier, well-liked, revered. He's captain. He's honorable, held in high regard. We cannot allow our victories from God to become testaments of our own power. Had it not been for the Lord that was on my side. If we're not careful, we can get to the place where when God elevates us to a certain level, we'll have to be careful lest that becomes fertile soil for us to battle with leprosy. Because as long as he was a certain man, there was no leprosy. And commentators tell us that this certain man in 1 Kings became Naaman, the great man in 2 Kings. That it was his arrow that killed the king that day. And it was that, that was the beginning of the Lord elevating him and people elevating him. And that was his begin his ascent to greatness the lord used him we read that that certain man as long as he was a certain man there was no leprosy but it's only when he became great that it also tells us he was a leper his leprosy is is only mentioned in the same verse as his greatness and we have to be careful lest when we become great we also become a leper look at your neighbor and say you look better without leprosy <laughs> Can God use you to lay hands on that person and then be healed and you not be impacted in a negative fleshly way? Can God use you to preach a message that shifts an entire generation and it not go to your head? Can God allow your, the song that you wrote to become the anthem of our churches and it not make you want to seek finances more than seeking his face? Can God do something great for us without us seeking deals out of it? Can God do something great? Can he use us to do something great without us trying to monetize it somehow? Hello? So this certain man that commentator says was, was Naaman, he becomes a great man. And now he's got leprosy. And leprosy is a typology of sin. A little scab would show up in your flesh. And it just starts out real small. But it's something's not right. And here's Naaman. As long as he was a certain man, there's no leprosy. He wouldn't be on a battlefield if he had leprosy. As long as he was just willing to be used. But it's only when he became great that all of a sudden a scab began to show up on his flesh. <laughs> it's not going to be the good that disqualifies us. It's going to be that one area of leprosy that keeps us back. Reminds me of another man in the New Testament that was good in a lot of areas, but he had one area. And the rich young ruler had kept everything, but he had a, he had a, he had a problem giving. And Jesus said, thank God for your good areas, but we need to fix this one area of leprosy. I don't know what your one area is today, but I know there's still a God that's not intimidated by your leprosy. 
He's not scared of your sin. He's not frantic about your failure. He's ready to make you clean. And if you will worship Him, He will make you whole. God healed ten lepers, but He only made one whole. We can leave this pulpit conference healed, or we can leave it whole. I want my praise and my thanksgiving and my worship. I want it to do more than just heal me. I want it to make me whole. I want you to be great. I want God to use you to do greater things than any of us has ever seen or imagined but not at the risk of you losing your soul. Not at the risk of you going down a path that God never intended for you to go down. But what would happen? What would happen if we could just still remain a certain man and a certain woman that God could still use and to guide our arrows and to anoint our lips and to let us be part of something supernatural? We print out all the great stuff on our resume. We're good at this. Great at that. I got straight, great strengths here. But then we get a little quiet on our weak areas. But let me help us today. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Just a little more deep dive into the scripture. I looked up the word all. In the original meaning, it means all. So like that's all of us. Leprosy is very contagious. It's very contagious. That's why they had to ostracize them. That's why there were strict commands not to touch them. You got to be very careful who you get connected with. And that's why I beg you, as God elevates you, understand, as God elevates you, there's people in my church that's connected to you. Now, 30 years ago, people could get elevated, nobody else would hardly know anything about it. But with social media, we're all connected. So I tell my daughter, you post something stupid on social media, it affects all of us. Sorry, I told you I was just going to act like I was at home. (laughs) Haggai chapter 2 verse 13, then said Haggai, if one that is unclean by dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, it shall be unclean. Then said Haggai and said, so is this people and so is this nation, saith the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, that, that it is unclean. Me touching a leper will not make that leper holy, but it can definitely make me unholy. That's why we refrain from certain places and doing certain things, especially ministry minded people. That's why we ask our young people to stay away from certain places, because touching it will not make your your holiness will not make it holy. But it's unholiness can impact you in a negative way. And so in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 9, Naaman came with his horses and his chariots, and he stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger. I love this. Elisha said, I'm not playing this game. I'm not giving him what he wants today. We're, we're going to see how bad he really wants to be healed. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go wash in Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. And Naaman was wroth. And went away. Now listen at this. And said, behold, I thought. How many times have I crashed and burned because of what I thought? I thought he would come out to me, surely. That he would stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover. I thought that it would have been more of a display. I mean, I am Naaman. And I am great. I thought. We live in a very I generation. iPads. iPhones. 
iCloud. I, I, I. If you're I offended. Naaman said, I thought our thoughts will derail a many a move of God. Because our thoughts are not his thoughts and our ways are not his ways. See, when Naaman was just a certain man doing what he was supposed to do, when he was supposed to do it, he'd have had no problem with Jordan. He'd have thought that's a that's a better that's a good as place as any to be healed. He'd have had no problem going dipping there. He'd have, but now that he's great, now that he's preached out a little bit, now that he's been used, there's got to be a better place. Does it matter where you get healed? As long as you get healed. So God's saying, all right, we got to deal with the leprosy of pride. His leprosy was a physical outward condition of a spiritual inward condition. I thought it would be better than this. I thought it would be more grand than this. I thought more people would see this. I thought I thought I would be preaching more than I am right now. I thought my church would be bigger than it is right now. I thought that they owed me more than I got. I had a, I was with one time. I was at a camp one time doing a doing a camp and I'm, I'm being very transparent and I hadn't done many camps, and uh, the guy asked me, the other, the other speaker, he said something about how many camps have you done, and I hate those kind of questions anyhow, and so I always just divert those, and it doesn't matter. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, he said, this is my such and such camp, and he said, I'm to the point now where I tell them if they didn't pay me enough. I saw a little scab pop up. So I asked him this question, standing right in the lobby of a hotel. I said, okay. I said, do you tell the ones when they pay you too much? Because if there's a, if there's a standard, whatever that is, and if they come in under and you're going to have the audacity to tell them you paid me too less, do you write a check back for the ones who pay you too much? I don't know why I can't keep friends. Here's a man that was being used mightily of God. As long as he was just a certain man, God was using him. But now that he tasted a little greatness, something popped up in his flesh. Naaman went from being content with just being a certain man to now being a great man, but a great man with leprosy. And Elisha knew to be a proud man, he would, have to, he would have to let him know that God's not going to allow you to come before him with that pride. Sometimes God allows things to happen to reveal the heart. So we see in Naaman the folly of pride. When you get tired of leprosy, you don't care what you have to do. Naaman looked a lot better without leprosy. <laughs> When he was just a certain man doing what he was supposed to do. It's silly that Naaman is mad. When we have sin in our life and we need deliverance, what's it going to hurt to repent? What's it going to hurt to preach the gospel that you just heard? What's it going to hurt to say repent, get baptized in Jesus' name, receive the Holy Ghost? What's it going to hurt to live for God? What's it going to hurt to live a godly and holy lifestyle? And his servants came near and spake unto him and said, if the prophet, listen to this, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing. You'd have been all over that name. If he'd have called you on the platform at NAYC, you'd have been all over that. That's what you thought should have happened because of the times. That's where it should have happened. General conference, that's where it should have happened. 
But no, they told you to go to a youth rally with 20 people on the backside of the desert somewhere. Nobody's going to even hear you preach. They don't even live stream. They don't even have social media. How am I supposed to go back and read what everybody thought about my message? You can't preach there. You can't preach anywhere. And if you ever get a chance to preach the other and it starts working on your flesh, I promise you there's a scab somewhere that's, that's leprosy. And you need to fall on your face and pray to God because I promise you look a lot better today without leprosy. And I don't care how great you get if you got leprosy. What good is it? What, what profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his soul? I want to preach to some people right now. God can use you to have the greatest revival we've ever had. But you need to keep your feet planted and you need to stay humble and you need to stay submitted to a man of God you need to stay submitted to a pastor that can let you know hey you're getting a little cocky and I don't like what I see let's stand all over this place so whatever you put in your mind that God this is, this is the great thing that I would like to do for you can God trust you with truth can God favor you with finances can God trust you with your talent that he's given you? He would rather. I got Bible for this. He'd rather you go to, to heaven maimed. Than to go to hell whole. He'd rather you get to heaven only doing a fraction of what you had the potential of doing. But getting to heaven. Than for you to become great and it produce some leprosy in you. But I am convinced there are still. Brother Sean, come here. You're not going to meet another picture of greatness. I know you're embarrassed by this. You can kick me when it's later. But we gave you some money, so you have to let me slide on this. The stories and the miracles and the souls. But you're not going to meet. You'll never meet a more humble, godly, holy man of God. He's done more than most of us combined. But he has remained who God called him to be. So yes, there's a few that get great and get leprosy. But there's many more that you don't even. He, he started today by saying most of you don't even know who I am. That's a shame. That we wouldn't know the greatness of what God's used for his family. You need to get his wife's book. It would bless you. How many more Brother Shams, Brother Joneses, Brother Gleason's, Brother Pamers, Sister Pamer, Sister Gleason, sisters, people that God has used in huge ways that they just remained who they were. I want to be used in supernatural ministry. I want to be used in supernatural ministry. I want to be used in supernatural. The most supernatural thing you can do sometimes is just be natural. Moses, I will use you to walk into that 
palace, you'll throw that stick down. It'll turn into a snake. It'll be a supernatural move of God. It will swallow up all the other false doctrine that's on the floor. I will use you to pick it up and you may never be used like that again. Can you deal with that, Moses? Or are you going to start selling your stick on the internet and how many times you can throw it down? I don't want to come across mad. I'm not mad. But I do want to tell you, I feel like I'm preaching to people that could literally change the world. But can you do it and just remain who you are? Without becoming great. Without becoming leprosy. So how do I do that? Brother Tony, you make God great. You defer it all to the Lord. You give him all the praise and all the glory. You that's got that in your mind right now. I said, God, this is, this is beyond anything I could ever really comprehend. But this is what I feel. And God gives you visions when you're young that you don't know how they'll ever come. You, you, you'll look back and go, oh, I remember that. Let him give you one of those right now. God, I don't even see how, but I'm committing myself to stay humble. And I'm not seeking money, and I'm not seeking fame, and I'm not seeking fortune. I'm going to stay submitted. But God, if you can use anything, you can use me. Students, you look better without leprosy. God can use you more without leprosy. You can reach more people without leprosy. You can have a greater impact without leprosy. I want you to come to this front. I want you to lift your hands up toward heaven. And I want you to ask God to give you a dream. I want you to ask God to give you a vision. I want you to ask God, God, you can trust me. You can trust me. You can trust me with truth. And you can, favor, you can trust me with finances. And you can trust me with resources. I'm not looking to be where I'm not supposed to be, God. You can trust me here. Nobody has to know my name. I'm not looking for a get-rich-quick scheme. You can trust me, God. Come on. You look better without leprosy. Just be a certain man. Just be a certain woman. Just keep pulling that bow back and doing what you're supposed to do. And let God elevate you. Let God trust you. It's not going to change me. It's not going to make me think better of myself than I should. Come on, young men. Come on, young women. Give your heart wholly to the Lord. Make a covenant with the Lord today. 
I'll pass that test. 